Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello, Portland Trailblazers fans, and welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I am Dave Deckard, managing editor of BlazersEdge.com, here with you with Dan Morang, my usual partner in crime. And speaking of partner in crime, Dan, for advocating tanking just before the Blazers take off and blast off with their best week of the season. We have locked you in prison. You are broadcasting from a small cell as we speak. How is it feeling on the bread and water diet, buddy? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. It's uh, the same time I get sick is the same time the Blazers go on a run is the same time I get locked in uh, in, in podcast purgatory with this echoey mic. So I guess I should apologize to everybody for <laughs> this weird short weirdness that I've got going on right now, but until I can take an apartment. We are not it. letting you out <laughs> until the Blazers fail to make the eighth seed. Then you will be redeemed. And talk about sick. How about wins over San Antonio on the road, Atlanta on the road, the Miami Heat on the road. There has not been a better trio of wins all year long. Um, this is what we're celebrating in a sub-500 season. But you know what? In any season, this would be a good good trio of wins. I, I've just done nothing but just shake my head for the past week. It's just things that, just, that don't add up are happening. Things that don't make any sense are, are, are coming true. And it's it's absolutely incredible to to kind of watch it all unfold. And I've heard a few people like, oh, this is the team we all thought they were going to be. No, no, it wasn't. Stop. You can enjoy this, well, but, st- but stop that. <laughs> so they aren't. The, I mean, there's their record still proves they aren't the team you thought they would be. But exactly. Yeah, you're kind of right. But there's a ton dogs to and cats it. sleeping together. Uh, <laughs> the world turning. I, I'm waiting for the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Just don't cross the streams. Let's talk about that San Antonio game. That was the closest of the three. Took it down to the wire. The Blazers pull away at the end. Damian Lillard, 36 That's the thing points. There, right? They pulled away at the end against the Spurs at yeah. San Antonio. Teams do not do that to the Spurs in San Antonio. That just doesn't happen. That's that's exactly. absolutely crazy. And hey, I mean, this was uh, uh, Nurkic fever has dimmed a little bit. Damian Lillard mania is on the ascendance. But in this game, because look, Dwayne Dedman is San Antonio's guy. He's the revelation this season. And uh, the kind of the hidden, you know, mechanism behind their continued success. In this game, he plays only 20 minutes, uh, hits both of his shots, but only scores four points with five rebounds. Meanwhile, Nurk has 16 points and nine rebounds, three offensive, four steals and a block. I mean, he's just like, what other center is there but me? Yeah, no, the way Nurk has been playing has been absolutely exceptional. And not just with his ability to score and rebound. I think the things that have been the most impressive to me are the the huge block and steal totals. And, of course, you know, analytically they, they can be translated a million different ways, and one of those is just not really that valuable. 
in the grand scheme of things, but what it does to your team and the opportunities it affords you to get out in transition and when it comes to steals, um, the intimidation factor as far as protecting the paint when you're consistently blocking somebody's shot four or five times. I mean, he's putting up Hassan Whiteside-type numbers when it comes to blocks in some of these games. It's absolutely nuts. It's not like he's getting one or two blocks in games. He's getting four or five, six, and it's like he just keeps stacking them up, and then he's stripping guys like crazy and getting out and leading the break. I mean, stuff like that you just can't account for. Yeah, I'll tell you what they are is inspirational. Yeah. But what do the Blazers need? Inspiration. And, hey, I mean, I think there's a new standard that we should have. Now, Nurk is, as advertised, a turnover machine. But any game where his steals and blocks equal or exceed his turnovers is going to count a as win. a good game for Nurkic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just like he gets those things, it erases his only big deficit, and then everything else is gravy. And there's a lot of gravy on those mashed potatoes right now. Yeah, no, I mean, everything that he's bringing – there's very, very few things that I, I'm looking at the screen night in, night out, and I'm sitting here thinking, he needs to do this better, he needs to clean this up, he needs to figure this out. Even in his turnovers, they're usually turnovers that aren't, they aren't mental errors, which are the most frustrating things. He's making mistakes at full speed. So he's throwing a pass that maybe you shouldn't throw, but if he completes it, it's two points. So those kind exactly. of things aren't, aren't, in the grand scheme of things, there's risk reward as opposed to just making a boneheaded play. And those are the kind of mistakes yeah. that you can live with. Or as was present prior, only having one option. Like, you know, he's going to pass in this situation. And if he shoots, it's good for the opponent. Yeah. Or, you know, he has to shoot and there's no way he can complete a pass. He's always at least somewhat of a multi-threat which I think really helps the Blazers positionally because then the defense is guessing rather than zeroing in. Yeah, and, and you saw that really come to fruition in the second half against San Antonio and really the second half of almost every game on this road trip. Nurkic started the game off slow, and then the second half he just come to life. And if he cleaned some of these things up early in games, he would have had some absolutely monster games. Now I know one you want you specifically wanted to highlight on this um, was the Atlanta game. What was it you were taking away from the Atlanta game? Well, the Atlanta game was marvelous. That may be the best game I've seen the Blazers play in years. Not just because they got out to an early lead; they've done that before, but they, they kept, kept it. it. Oh my gosh! They not only kept it; they kept it. They were they were like, "No, don't touch it. It's mine. Hands off. Uh, don't eat my food." It is my that's my six-year-old daughter says uh and they pretty much they guarded that jealously that i mean the hawks didn't even sniff at a comeback yeah they they ate away some points in the middle quarters i mean that's somewhat to be expected that's, the NBA that's but, going to happen but the ability the to, to lengthen the lead with back out and just immediately restore order as they could Perfect. hey we're winning this game just deal with it professional it was professional yeah. it, it looked like it a, a veteran playoff team exactly and it wasn't close i mean the the san antonio when you repeat that game 10 times and maybe you win it four or five times uh, at best maybe against san antonio you win it too that atlanta game you replay that from the start the way it started the way the blazers were playing and they win that 10 out of 10 times they just won't lose. i mean that was just absolute dominance absolute willpower 
and uh, they finally exerted and asserted themselves in a way that just left the opponent muddled and befuddled, as our, our colleagues in New York would say. And that, that was really great to see. The other thing was dominance across the starting lineup. I'm not big on single game plus minus, but when you have stats ranging from plus nine to plus 27 in your starting lineup and the opposing starting lineup starts at negative 10 and goes down to negative 25. You dominated them. Now, Paul Millsap was out. We get that. But look, what usually happens with uh, Atlanta, uh, Dwight Howard or any team Dwight Howard is on, they, they feed him. And at some point he breaks through. He did shoot six for 10, 14 points, five offensive rebounds, 10 rebounds total. That's not shabby. But at no point did he really impact this game. And that's well, he, a big he did impact, deal. You know, Nurkic's jaw. Well, I mean, yeah, there was that. <laughs> but hey, you know what? What's really funny is like, with Nurkic, it's like, go ahead. I mean, I don't wish that on him, but how long have we been like a little bit nervous about being bullied, about being pushed around? Like, go ahead, put an elbow to Nurkic's face. He's just going to come back and play just as hard. So that's it's nice to have that kind of toughness there. And then, of course, we wrap up with Miami. Oh, my goodness, Miami. <laughs> what did, what did you see in that one? One of the hottest teams in the league, you know, since, yes. the, since you know, over the past 20 games. They've really gotten it done. I mean, if you look at the the post-All-Star break numbers, only the Spurs have more wins than the Blazers. And tied with the Blazers are the Miami Heat. So they've been playing, as well as Portland's been playing, Miami's been doing a lot of the same. And they're missing probably their third best player in Justice Winslow. So that game and the way that Portland was able to establish um, their style of play midway, late through the first quarter, and then just get going behind... Damian Lillard, and let's let's go ahead and put this in perspective real quick, and we'll touch on it again a little bit more here coming up. The game that Damian Lillard had was probably the most productive, efficient game of anybody in the NBA this season. 49 points on 21 shots is absurd. That is yeah. just absolutely bonkers good. It's just, there's no way to, to get around that. It was just... Everything he wanted, and granted, he was canning three after three after three, and they were deep, deep threes. But when somebody like that gets going, and then you've got the inside threat and the Nurkic, the way he played in the second half, I mean, Hassan Whiteside didn't know what to do with him. There was a couple times where Whiteside tried to push and bully uh, Nurkic around, and he just bounced off of him. And that's not something we're, we're accustomed to seeing in Portland. And, and something that I said on Twitter over you know over the last couple of weeks is that Nurkic hasn't had a night off when it comes to big men. I mean, Dwayne Dedman, Pau Gasol, David Lee in San Antonio was Nurkic's night off, right? Every other night, it's been you know Dwight Howard, Hassan Whiteside. You just go down the list of the guys that he's had to play against for the past couple of weeks, and you're like, wow, he is literally matched up with just about every premier big man in the league over the past two and a half weeks. And to see him yeah, come but, in and dominate like that was was crazy. 49 points from Lillard. I mean, that's part of the story. But look, when the Blazers were really good, what were they doing? They were generating extra points. Extra points at the foul line, extra points from the three-point arc. Now, it's not like they did that incredibly well in that game as a team. But Damian Lillard did. Nine of 12 three-pointers hit is obviously astonishing. 12 of 12 free throws hit. What that means, basically, if you count 
nine extra points from three points instead of two, and then 12 free throws. That's 21 one-pointers, basically. 21 extra points tallied on to your field goal total. And by the way, you scored 28 just on your field goal. So, yeah. I mean, that's it's just... So it would have taken a regular normal. It, it, it was a normal Damian Lillard 28 point night that was taken to an exponential level where it just the efficiency went nuts. Basically double coupon night on yeah. Damian Lillard. Let's let's put Lillard's week here or his three game stretch in perspective. And by the way, he won player of the week this year in case you missed that. And obviously so you want to know how good this is. I want you to listen to these numbers. Eight for 16 and 26 points against the Spurs, 10 for 19, 22 points against the Hawks, and 7 for 16, 18 points against the Heat. Those were not Damian Lillard's numbers. Those were C.J. McCollum's (laughs) numbers, and they were fantastic, and nobody cared. I mean, the guy could 26, 22, and 18, incredibly efficient shooting, and he looked like a little candle next to the sun next to what Damian Lillard did. 36 points, 27 points. He was taking a night off against the Hawks. It was only 27. And, of course, that 49-point outburst against the Heat. Absolutely jaw-dropping. I mean, obviously, he deserved player of the week, yes? Yeah, I don't think there's any way you could argue unless Harden or Westbrook had one of those crazy weeks again. I mean, the way he played and the way Portland's been playing has just been absolutely obscene. Obscene. That's a new one. That's obscene, obscene. And, obscene and insane together. We'll we'll we'll, we'll uh, coin that for Lillard. He was he was obs, obscene, was yeah, it? It was obscene. Obscene. We're gonna, we're gonna go with uh, that I, I I like it. But yeah, so, I mean, the uh, way he was playing. It, Coming into this this stretch of this last, I don't know, post-All-Star break, the one thing that I kept saying if, if the Blazers were going to tank was that clearly something's not right with Damian Lillard during the All-Star break. And the 10 days or so off of arrest seemed to have done something for him at a level that I, I just can't explain. Was his ankle really that beat up? Was he just that worn down and he just needed to reco- recover? Because really... This was the kind of play he was putting up in the first two months of the season. It was when he started to get worn down about December into January where you started to see his field goal percentage drop pretty heavily. Now, all of a sudden, he's shooting the lights out again. Yeah, it might be. And, of course, this is a, an old story for Lillard. Seems like every year this happens. And I don't know if it's chronic injuries. I don't know if it, it's not conditioning, but it may be minutes played and wear and tear on the body. I mean, this is a guy uh, that's top five in minutes darn near every year he plays. But if Lillard could play this way all year long, well, I mean, he still wouldn't quite be Russell Westbrook, but the, the Blazers would certainly benefit from him uh, from it. I, I don't know if there's a magic solution to this, maybe a little more depth. But then again, how can you justify playing anybody behind Lillard when he has the potential to play this well? I think it's just one of those things where somehow the Blazers have to figure out how to coax either an entire season out of Lillard of basically superb play. Not that his play was shabby before, but, you know, it's two different Lillards. It's a consistency and efficiency. Those are the two things. Or surround him with enough players that it doesn't matter. And speaking of surrounding with players, there are a couple other guys we wanted to tip the hat to. Other players that, uh, whether they're doing it directly or benefiting from, for instance, Nurkic and Lillard's improved play, uh, who knows? But uh, who else have you noticed on the team? You know, the big one for me, and when we, we beat up on him because not necessarily for 
what he hadn't done, but really what he hadn't done, <laughs> I guess is the way to go. But he it. never did. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's Noah Vonley and he's still not doing a ton, but he's validating his position on the court in that the minutes he's getting now all of a sudden makes sense. And I've seen a few people say, well, yeah, he's, he's, you know, he's getting more minutes now, or he, he's, he needed more minutes to be productive. It was, no, that wasn't the case. He needed to be productive than the minutes he got to get more minutes. That's, that was the case. The thing was, when you play him alongside a guy like Mason Plumley, it just didn't work. When you've got a guy like Nurkic who demands so much attention and the gravity that he requires defensively, when he rolls to the paint, he's going to pull one and a half defenders with him when he rolls down the middle. How many pick and roll dunks has Nurkic had in his short time here compared to what Mason Plumley had in his time here? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I haven't looked it's at the numbers, play. but it's, it's become a very, very normal occurrence. And with that, teams are understanding that the gravity on pick and rolls has changed drastically, whereas they could sag off and help in certain areas to take away corner shooters or play tighter to the backside or the weak side, short side corner, uh, which would typically be a guy like Noah Vonley, and force Mason Plumley to shoot. Well, if you're going to give one-on-one coverage and let Nurkic get a step or a step and a half off the pick and roll, he's going to beat you. So that weak side defender has to step. How many times have we seen Nurkic just do that little shovel dump pass, rap pass, whatever, Noah Vonley for a dunk? It's at least once, once a game. Just that, yep, just that little threat gives him that much more functionality. Now on the pick and roll, when the teams start to, to push on Nurkic a little bit more and Lillard a little bit more, now you've got a guy like when Crabs out there who in the, in the backside corner is getting more opportunity. And we'll get to him in, more in here in a second, but Noah Vonley's catching, pumping, driving, and dunking. I mean, the, the play that he had against um, Miami the other night where he caught it at the elbow, pump fake when the defender closed out, and absolutely just smashed on the heat. I mean, that's what you expect from the guy. I mean, we, we talked about him a million times. The guy's got a prototype body. He's got the skill set there to be an effective player. And right now, he's not doing what they need him to do. He's just giving them the baseline of what they expect from a guy to do. You know, and that's knock down shots when the opportunities are given to you and rebound the ball when it's there. And he's had a We're talking about Vonley now. Yeah, we're Von talking Lay. about Vonley yeah. still. And that's he's he's doing the things he needs to do to justify his time on the court. Now the next step is to do a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and that's how you kind of keep going. And the other guy in this in this whole deal here is Crab. Whether or not his numbers reflect it um, in a points per game sense, but his aggression and his willingness to shoot, he has thrown caution to the wind uh, as far as taking shots. Now, there was a meeting apparently between C.J. Um, Crab and Stotts a couple weeks ago that they tried to figure out how to get Crab more involved. I mean, this is something I've kind of touched on in the past in that Damian Lillard is a better playmaker and a table setter than C.J. is. That's just Damian has point guard DNA. He has the ability to find guys in the short corners and, and find passes that other guys just don't make. That does not to say that C.J. is a bad point guard. He's just – that's not – type a of his persona so when they start running these sets now to get crab more involved not only are they running these sets crab is taking these shots when they come to him now i don't know if, if the case where they were running the exact same sets the same amount of time and crab wasn't just shooting or this is more crab shooting on top of it or they're running more of those sets but when you look at what crab has done 
I mean, the dude since the All-Star break is shooting 46% from three. That's that's just absolutely bonkers. And if you're taking well, three and four attempts a game, that's that's absolutely insane. Never forget that at his heart, Alan Crabb is both a scorer and a rhythm player. Uh, he's not the kind of guy who will come out there. Okay, he's not West Person where he come out there and fire one shot and call it good and go back to the bench. He he likes to put up points and he needs to get in the comfort zone to do it. Now, earlier on, he had the opportunity to do that, but he kind of had to make that opportunity. In other words, there was a decision point for him. And any decision point, I mean, the ball goes one way sometimes, the ball goes the other way sometimes, and that rhythm isn't there. Right now, especially, I think, with, with Nurkic around demanding more attention inside, but also freeing up more passing lanes outside as a result, Crab's shots are way more obvious. And when he gets a couple to go, then he can hit anything he wants. Then all of a sudden he doesn't need the space anymore because he's in a rhythm. And now all of a sudden he's coming off a screen and he's firing right away. And that's the aggressive crab that we know and love. But it doesn't necessarily start even, I think, with with a more aggressive outlook. It starts with shots that he just cannot pass up. I mean, they're right there in front of him. So finally it feels like he's for crab is a good shot. I mean, if, if but he doesn't feel that way, yeah. though, that's not his thing, though. And he, he's, I think, in some ways, notorious, at least in my mind, for missing a, a couple and then either fading and not taking any more or just bricking them in droves just because he's just not he's not comfortable he's out there. But yeah, he, yeah, the Blazers have now given him the space to be comfortable and a comfortable Alan Crabb is a dangerous thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't honestly don't mind if he has one of those two for nine nights, if those nine shots are good shots. And honestly, can you think of a shot that, I mean, it's really a bad shot for Alan Crabb. I mean, he can no. finish at the rim. He's one of the best mid range shooters in the league. And he's proven that he's a dynamic three point shooter. And now he's shown he can shoot off the bounce. So, I mean, catch and shoot, shoot off the bounce, finish at the rim. He can hit from deep, and he can hit from mid-range. And he doesn't really have a cold spot on the floor. So, I mean, when you're talking about pure shooters in the league and the numbers percentage-wise of what he's able to do, he's up there with the the absolute best in the NBA. So when he's got time and space, let it fly. And I think I don't know anybody in, in Portland who's sitting here saying otherwise. We may argue with the bounce thing a little bit, but I mean, he's no Al Farouk Aminu, let's put it that way. Okay, so I mean, I'm actually really glad you brought that right. up with Al Farouk Aminu. Here's, here's the crazy stat so far since the All-Star break. Al Farouk mm-hmm. Aminu has the worst field goal percentage on the team of, the, of, of anybody who's actually getting minutes right now. And you have an idea what that field goal percentage is? I know it's lower off the dribble, but I imagine that, I mean, he's been taking, it feels like more selective shots and wide open shots. So I wouldn't be surprised. And I think if you're telling me, obviously it's up. So lay it on us. 47% from the field and almost 40% from three. (laughs) That's absolutely crazy. I mean, that's Alfa Rukaminu at 47% is the, the absolute floor for this team right now. That gives you an idea of just how bonkers they've been shooting the ball. I mean, you go down the list of guys right now as far as three-point shooting, Damian Lillard, 44%. C.J. McCollum, 49%. 
Crab, 46%. Maurice Harkless, 47%. Aminu, 40%. I mean, <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. The, the Blazers as a whole are number one in the league at over 43% from three-point range since the All-Star break. And it's no secret that shooting lights out from threes coincided with them being able to go on this kind of a stretch run where they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Yep, absolutely. And I believe they're 9-4 and four since the break. So that's... Yep. It's not bad. Uh, no accident, I think, that the schedule has gotten just a wee bit lighter. Uh, and I think some of the teams are not as defensively astute. A couple of overtime games have gone Portland's way. At the same time, 9-4 and four is 9-4, and four, right? I and mean, that's... Really, it's... they had a game where, uh, against the Wizards that could have gone their way. And mm-hmm. there, yeah. there, were, there were other games along the way that again, could have gone their way and could have gone a whole lot easier, too. And I think that's kind of underscores the point of how well they've played recently. But to your point, the schedule, they've struggled against some of the bad teams, yet against San Antonio, Miami, Atlanta, they have some of their best performances of the season. It's it's, it's a really strange thing to wrap your head around. We keep coming back to that, that there's no arguing with this week. I mean, and even oh, if this week, week is, there's no other is all this. there is, that's still, okay, they had a week. I mean, they had a week, and uh, it was nice to see them play with that jaunt in their step, with that determination in their chin, and, and they did it. Now, uh, which brings up a question. I mean, like, it's a kind of a duality because they did play one more game this week that was against the <laughs> New Orleans <laughs> Pelicans. I thought and we it was clearly like this game didn't happen. Yeah, I want to. I, and we're not going to cover it in depth because, oh my gosh, it was, the, I think that was, that was clearly the worst their worst game yeah. of the year. I like, think that was they worse did than a typical Blazers thing. The Cavs. Remember the Cavs yeah, game when no. they gave up 139? this looked worse at least they did at least they did something in that they gave up 139 i mean at least there was some entertainment value in that i mean new orleans they came out flat they looked like they looked like the ball was pyramidal i mean they just couldn't they couldn't get a grip on it they They couldn't do anything rebound and and yeah exactly they didn't look like they gave a crap about it which was just shocking given the circumstance. Now, it's, this is typical Blazers. I think we talked about this in a mailbag recently. Just when you think that they're done, then it's like, oh, no, we're not done. But then they ride the wave of success and they come back, which brings us to this question. And the New Orleans game, I think, has bearing on it. This is from William. It's partial mailbag question. I'll answer the rest in print probably. But says, dear Dave, I've been, and Dan, I've been loving the Blazers' recent hot streak but I'd like to know what you think about the future of the team. So now, without going into, you know, gruesome detail, because we've done this a little bit. Okay, three and one this week, three of the best wins of the season. What does it mean? Does this change your assessment overall? No. I just think they're not as bad as their record indicated earlier in the season. I mean, we were talking about it going into this, into this year. I said if they met last year's win total, I'd be impressed. I just didn't think they had it in them. I figured them more for the 37 to 41 win team. It just, it didn't make sense to me because of the way everything kind of panned out. Now, are they better off with Yusuf Nurkic than they were with Mason Plumley? Yeah. Yeah, they are. That's probably worth two and a half games. And I think that's, that's a pretty good number for a guy like Nurkic, who's still only 22 years old. Um, they're still going to get absolutely smashed by anybody they get 
matched up with in the playoffs. Um, they could present some problems, and sure, they could give Golden State or San Antonio a game or two, but I don't think they have any chance of pulling off a miraculous series. Do they have a chance? Sure, everybody has a chance when you get in that position. But going forward, there's still a lot that needs to be done for this team. And while this is great right now, it doesn't exactly speak well for the team when they're playing this well right now when the previous 60 games they were one of the worst teams in the league. That's exactly it. And this the reason I like this question is that it shows. I mean, people are so... I don't know how to say it, single-minded nowadays, that there has to be one answer to something, and you're either this or that in one camp or another. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's not one answer to this. This has been a fantastic week. The Blazers have played mightily and impressively. It's fantastic. There's no argument about that. They've gone 9-4 and four since the All-Star break. There's no argument about that. Because of how they played earlier, they must now go nine and four again in the remaining 13 games just to reach 500. And the chances of that are below pro- where they finished last year. Right. It's possible for them to do. Uh, if they keep playing like this, certainly they can do it. But nine and four to reach 500, A. B. Everybody's going to get very, very, very happy and say mission accomplished over an eighth seed. That perspective is important, too. That was the base. Yes, exactly. And by the way, there is something to be said for, hey, if you could play the way you played this week, where was it? And I get Nurkic. okay, but this is like night. This is not just Nurk. okay? There's night and day difference to how the Blazers played the last three games with their energy, with their drive, with their will, with their everything. And the way they played the entire first three months of the season, it's kind of not okay. I mean, you have to say one of two things. Either this is kind of a, a bump, a mirage, a high point, and they're going to revert back to mean, or... This really is who they is, they are, and and what the heck were they doing for the first 65 games of the season? That would be inexcusable. Either way, it ain't good, and there are things that need to be fixed here. Now, uh, I, I think, let, let's take a look at the schedule, right? Uh, they've got Milwaukee. That's a tough game. That's their next one. They've got the Knicks at home. That should be a win. Minnesota hey, at home hey, should hey, be a win. You did that that Knicks game. Remember, New York is is kind of screwed with Portland the last couple of years. Yeah, Even come as on. Bad as they, they've they, been, they, they got to win it's that. It's been a team. They have to. Yeah, but that's been a team. It's been a pain. And Minnesota has been an absolute pain lately too. Cat is a guy that's absolutely torched Portland. But Nurkic could it. be a guy that could that could definitely cause some issues. But I mean, if you want to talk about center immune now, we are center immune. Yeah, if you want to talk about a team that's been hot though since the turn of the new year. The Timberwolves are about as hot as they get. They have one of the best defenses in the league since the turn of the year. I think they're second or third overall on offensive and defensive uh, net rating. Um, Cat, Wiggins, and Rubio are playing phenomenal basketball right now. So, and that's the thing is Portland has three games against the Timberwolves. The Timberwolves could come out of nowhere if they if they somehow got it together, and they went on a run like Portland is seemingly doing right now. Minnesota could swing things very, very quickly with their three matchups with within Portland in the last, was it 13 games? Yeah. And well, that's, this is the scary part too, is that for all the glory, for all the wonder, for all the hope, you're still talking yourselves in comparison to the Nuggets and to the Timberwolves. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, 
tough. In any case, look, let's let's say Milwaukee, maybe, but for the sake of argument, let's say New York at home, Minnesota at home can be wins, and Los Angeles on the road, the Lakers, that means, should be a win. So they should have another really nice week. Then come Denver and Houston, and that Denver game is at home, thank goodness, because that's going to be, could be critical. Uh, Houston is tough, but then it's, you know, Phoenix, Minnesota, Utah, Minnesota, Utah, San Antonio, New Orleans. Kind of tough. I don't know that there are nine wins in there, but the Blazers should give a pretty good accounting of themselves, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, I'd say the number for the playoffs is probably seven and a half. Seven and a half. They could do that. Probably, that's... That's the line I keep coming back to. I know Denver's schedule is tougher right now. But from what I've seen from Portland all year, and I know it's hard to contrast that with the way they've been playing over the past week, I still don't have faith that, they can, that they'll do it. I still think that Denver will somehow beat them out. I just, let's, let's, it's just something about me that just makes me not trust what I've seen for the past week. I want to in the sense that it's good for the future, um, as far as, you know, no, it's not. Okay. I'm going to argue with that. I'm no, going to argue I'm with that. Not... No, it's not because it's six, it's, it's, it's 65 <laughs> games worth of, and then three games worth of woo. This is not, this is not different future. This is what the Blazers well do all the, the time. But no, it, it bodes, it bodes that they screwed up again. I mean, again, basically, yeah. sorry, Arch. It's the same thing they've been doing. But anyway, yes, okay, it is the hope spot. It is the Lance Storm coming back and the crowds cheering against Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's going to be a stunner and Lance looked kind of good again, so you'll cheer for him. But there's no way he's going to wear that belt. That's that's basically what this is. But let's put it let's put it this way, too. Uh, Denver, okay, here's their schedule. Cleveland at home, but then the road stuff begins. You got Indiana on the road, New Orleans at home, at Portland, at Charlotte, at Miami, at New Orleans, at Houston, versus New Orleans again, versus Oklahoma City, at Dallas, at Oklahoma City. There is not a guaranteed win in that bunch. There's a ton of road games. Yeah, and, and they're all tough teams. I think... The Blazers at this point, I would say they have the inside track. I'd say that Portland's probably favored based on the schedule. I, I just yep. I just don't trust the flow of the team. As quickly as they got this hot, I, I just see them being able to just have have just find themselves getting too comfortable and having that well, and problem. Let's, let's put it this way. I could easily see a postseason write-up that says like everything else this year, the Blazers came up just a little bit short. I yeah. mean that that I wouldn't okay, it wouldn't surprise me. But like you said, it could be Minnesota. It might not be Denver. I have a hard time seeing Denver winning. Maybe they might win half of these. I would be impressed if they won half the game. That's games. why I said it at seven no. and a half, because that's just over half of those games left. Yeah, it's just mm. well. In any case, if the Blazers can win at home on March 28th, I mean, you got to circle that one. That's, that's that really the deciding put, factor. It's, it's the loss column. I mean, and then if they just play evenly with Denver it's the rest of the games. way out, which they should be able to do. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. So, is that, that game, if everything holds true, I mean, that game will decide who goes. If Minnesota doesn't come in here and screw things up. 
Yep. And guess what? We get to podcast tonight before that game. So that will be awesome. And then they get a nice break. So we'll have not a ton to talk about. Well, actually, they don't get a break. Denver gets a break. Ah, that bites. The Blazers, that's right, because they get the extra Minnesota game. Now, how big could that lose? Oh, you don't right. like the rescheduled game. You don't like the, the Timberwolves. And now not only is that game not in the past, it's going to be bunched up against oh, a game with Utah. I didn't even so, think about that. Yeah, you got reschedule. Now, the Blazers do have a nice rhythm. I mean, they've got Saturday, Sunday before that Denver game. But the Denver game's on Tuesday and then they got Thursday. So they got a little bit. They at least got a day of rest there. But then they got Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday in that week. Phoenix, Minnesota, Utah, Minnesota, Utah. Now, imagining them winning all of those games would be a real stretch. Uh, three would be nice. But again, you know, how many do they have to win? They have 13. They can afford to lose maybe six, maybe five. So maybe you can drop a couple of those if you do well this week. But boy, if they come out this week and lose to the Knicks or the Timberwolves at home or the Lakers on the road, you just start banging your head against the desk again. I just I just hope that doesn't happen. We need to see like eight of nine wins here or 10 of 11. Uh, but keep in mind, too, the Blazers are really good at closing seasons. They always have been. This yeah, is what they true. do, right? Yeah, they, they, so, they've always yeah. find a way to, to, to close out the stretch when, when they've needed to in that sense. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I know so many people are going to be irritated or frustrated, and I'm sitting here as the pessimist. I just... The 60-plus games previous to this, just it's too much of a track record for me to, to, to go against it. Um, they didn't let you they didn't let you be that much of an optimist. No. I mean, they, they were right there. I mean, win five more games even, and we're not having this discussion. But, you know, it's just, okay. Here's what it feels like. The Blazers have done incredibly well this week so that now we're at the stage of holding our breath and waiting and seeing. And at least they got us to that point. So that's good because that was better than the shrugs and eye rolls from earlier. But we're still holding our breath and it just feels like time has stopped. And you're hoping they don't screw it up before the Denver game. And then we'll see what happens. And so, I mean, is, we're past tanking now, too. Yeah, I, I think so. Which, you know, if they don't end up making it or even if and like? when they end up getting swept, you're going to go... Darn it, the stupid timing with this team. Have the best week of the year when they need to have the worst one. How could you possibly beat San Antonio, Atlanta, and Miami on the road? Darn you. If they but, miss, I let's, mean, let's, let's, let's go ahead and go this way. What if they miss the playoffs by a game or a game and a half? That, no, okay. If that happens, though, I believe, I believe ping pong balls do not grace like people who intentionally that, – that won't happen. I would I – would, I don't know. I'm right-brained. I'm superstitious about this. If they miss the playoffs, but they've really had this week and they really fought hard, uh, I, I would say, okay, those ping-pong balls are going Portland's way. You watch. But, uh, you know, of course, that's hokum. Uh, in any case, let's uh, wrap it up with a, with a league-wide thing as we're waiting and holding our breath to make sure the Blazers don't screw up this week before they can meet Denver. Um, rest has become an issue again that uh, it was Golden State and the Spurs, I believe, where basically both teams rested Battle 13 of, the of their top 12 players. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, all of a sudden, everybody's, you know, the, the stuff has hit the fan. Adam Silver is saying, look, there's going to be significant penalties, whatever those He's are, for breaking the rest protocol, blah, blah, blah. 
First, what do you think about resting? And second, what can the NBA do about it? I get it, but at the same time, I can't believe I'm saying this. David Stern had it right. He fined, I believe it was the Spurs, it was it's either 250 or 500,000. I remember the first time the Spurs did this on a national TV game. And that's the way I think they should do it. Because these franchises are, are prorating tickets for attendees to come to these games with the expectation that players X, Y, and Z are going to participate. <laughs> yeah, are you saying that probably Golden State San Antonio was not a value tier game? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming those tickets probably costed a bit more than the Brooklyn Nets coming to town. <laughs> Especially for front row. The big one that really gets me is the East Coast, Eastern Conference, Western Conference matchups. So Cavs playing the Warriors, Warriors playing the Cavs. Things one like, game a year in each build. Yeah, exactly. So that really irks me. Um, so that kind of thing is, yeah, yeah. You know, I have no problem with him coming in with a huge fine. And people want to talk about, well, what about the players? Play the players 10 minutes, cut their minutes down. Stop, mm. stop going Tom Thibodeau with your, with your players and playing them 45 minutes a night. That might help. I want, I wonder if you could prorate, I'm just spitballing here, but like, okay, if you sit a guy or play him less than half his normal minutes without a diagnosed injury or what have you, and of course, diagnosed injury, what is that? So, I mean, without him like breaking his leg out there. Without the him court. being on the injury report, basically. Right, yeah. So, first of all, if you want to put people on the hard injury report, maybe you do what some of the other sports do and make them stay on there for X number of games. But second of all, I wonder if you could set a value on each game and kind of prorate by, uh, you know, production or what have you. That if you sit your leading scorer or your whatever it is, that X number of dollars come out and, and make it for each player up and down uh, the lineup and basically say, OK, if, if you sit your top three players and that's 60 percent of your production, you're going to lose 60 percent or get 60 percent of this maximum fine level or whatever it is, you know, to kind of in, incentivize people to play. But even that I'm horribly dissatisfied with this. I just don't think I'm not sure the league can do that much about it, except, as you said, maybe blanket fines. But in some ways, even those are unjust. Well, the TV production and the, and the commercials and then everybody else who's a part of the, the money machine here, they're going to push back. I guarantee ABC, TNT are thoroughly pissed about these last couple games. End of the season matchups with between big teams and big markets. This is, I mean, no football. What are people watching? They're watching these matchups. So when all of a sudden everybody's just sitting here going, mm, nah, I think I'll watch a rerun of, of NCIS, then there's a problem because this is still an entertainment industry where people need to tune in in order for them to generate the revenue necessary to justify those massive TV contracts. Um, so I would imagine, and it's kind of funny, I, I love Pop as much as anybody, um, but the arrogance that he has and, the, and some of the arrogance that Steve Kerr has had about sitting his players and how it's for the greater good, please just shut up. There, there have been a history of guys in the NBA, guys like Carl Malone who play every game 40 minutes a night, no problem. And I know the science points to the, the prevalence of injuries and it's a new era and player safety, yada, yada, yada. You're in an industry where your job is to show up and play basketball. That is your job. I don't know a job that I can go to where I get paid to have a day off. But, you know, 
Back in the old days, Carl Malone and Shaq played a full season and then wrestled. So, I mean, that's <laughs> back in my day. But I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Also, back in the old days, teams who made the playoffs and secured their spot immediately began resting their players, and it didn't matter. I mean, the Lakers, every year, basically, would, uh, would sit their I guys. I don't mind the last three games the last of the season week. stuff. That, that, for whatever reason, has never really bothered me. I, I don't know why I know that sounds hypocritical, but I think as, as a, as a purveyor of content, you know that that's a strong possibility. So do you say then, okay, you can sit your guys, but it has to be late enough in the season. Or do you say you can sit your guys or, but it has to be against the Kings. Uh, and at what, and at that point, like if you do that kind of thing, then aren't you, creating an imbalance because those games are important still to some teams. And this is the thing that would drive you crazy is yeah. that you needed the Lakers to win those games because they determined playoff position for someone for, else, for somebody else and they just don't give a rip. Right. And in a, in a way, even though it's late and against a high quality opponent, burying players uh, or resting players uh, against in the middle of the season, at least leaves some more margin error. Every game isn't quite so critical. Well, the thing about it is, is one of the strange thing about it, I should, I should say, is that it's not like there's not a rest period between the end of the regular season and the playoffs, too. Yeah. So I, I just don't. Yeah. Look, this is never going to be solved except straight up eliminate back to back games. And maybe you got that. And tell Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr that you're going to lock them in the room with Tasmanian devils if they ever do this again. And actually probably with pop Tasmanian <laughs> devils would opt out of that. But in any case, straight up, this is a hard problem to solve because you all, but you end up really having to judge what's a legit injury, what's a legit problem and what's not. And you're doing it from afar. That's always been a team and a coach's prerogative and changing that culture is difficult. Yeah. I stunned you into silence. Yeah. yeah I'm just trying to, <laughs> well, I'm trying to mull it back and forth and which way I really want to go with this. And I, I know it's, it's contradictory to, to the belief structure that I have. And it's just kind of formulated in my own head. Um, but the marquee matchups, having these, these, these players sit, especially like between the Spurs and, and the Warriors, when the seating potential between those guys and the, expected um, battle for that positioning was understood that, you know, the Spurs have been charging and the, and the Warriors were struggling. The fact that they both opted to do it, I don't know. Something about that just, you think just bothered me. Mind games though? Mind games? Cause pop did this against Miami when LeBron was there. Right. Yeah. And it was almost like he was saying, look, we don't a we don't care about the dang regular season and b you're not going to get a look at us if you want to play us you better get to the finals right and otherwise we're not going to bother with you and it kind of feels like pop was going to do that to the warriors and then Kerr did it right back to him and all of a sudden you have a game of chicken and and the people that ended up crashing was the viewers head into their uh, tv console as they were going oh god what am i why am i watching this and then you hear like i don't know Everything that comes out of the Warriors just seems so petty now, especially when you hear that they're, they were uh -oh. thrilled about the way that Kevin Durant was received in his return home to Oklahoma City. So 
I don't know. I just look at everything that that the, that the Warriors do with skepticism, and it's they want to be the villain, but they want they want you to love them for being the villain. It's it's just really awkward thing. I just can't yeah, it, wrap my head around. Okay, it's like Luke Skywalker. Okay, dude, stop it. Okay, just try to be the good guy, but no one's gonna like you anyway because you kind of suck and you have that plastic personality bit but all right we'll admit that you're good at this you are the jedi of the western <laughs> conference and maybe the league this is not the three-point miss you're looking for we get it so just just be you and stop quacking i mean my guy uh, world champions then runners up had a 3-1 lead and we 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 of course people can complain about pop too with his whining at the referees but at least that does something what good does it do the warriors to whine in the media about durant or anyone else it's not like oklahoma city is going to go oh yes you're right you have a point let's golf clap for durant when he comes back yeah I just, when i look at that it's just one of those things it's just really weird and i don't i don't i can't remember in oklahoma city's not totally innocent in all of this either because of the way that they're their franchise runs things as far as media relations and how they treat anybody that's on the outside of the organization. But it's also not their job to treat anybody on the outside of the organization any differently. So I don't know. Stupid media manipulation. Yeah. It's it's just like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to broadcast our message to these people? It's like, Oh, we'll quote anything you say. And okay. Give me a real team, like the post boogie trade Kings. Now there's a team I can respect. You know what they're doing? They're just shutting up and playing. They got screwed over. Like nobody else in the league got screwed over. And you know what? They're playing. So just shut up and play. If the Kings can do it and you can't do it, there's something wrong with you. And that seems a good enough place to end it, don't you think, Dan? Yeah, I think the Kings doing things well is definitely a sign of the end times. I didn't I didn't say well, I just said respective <laughs> respectably. Hey, respectably and that's, as well as far as Kings terms. When you're less respectable than the Kings in terms of how you're handling yourself publicly uh, in the way. It's, it's yeah, no, no good. Stop it, Warriors. Stop it. Just go go shoot from half court and shut up. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and end it there. For Dave Deckard, I'm Dan Morang. Just a reminder, you can find us on Stitcher, on iTunes, anywhere else for your podcast needs. This has been the Blazers Edge podcast. And until next week, go Blazers. And visit Dan in prison. Yeah. <laughs>